from my experience, a lot of times these bucks are, are, are traveling, especially during the pre-rut and the rut time frame in a more of a horizontal fashion. And they tend to follow specific topography lines uh, when they're doing that. So I'll try to find places that funnel deer movement down, whether it's, you know, uh, steep on the top, steep on the bottom, and then like a little bench that kind of flattens out through there or, or something that funnels down that deer movement. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and this week we're diving right back into more deer hunting content with Bo Martonic of the East Meets West podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, Bo is a very successful deer hunter who spends the majority of his time in the, in the wilds of Pennsylvania, but he also loves to venture out west for a variety of big game hunting opportunities. Uh, as well as some of the states there around him. He does some deer hunting in, and Bo and I discuss his full-time career as a hunting content creator, as well as the the challenges of big wood deer hunting and that rugged mountainous terrain and how he manages to, to consistently find success in those type of areas. So a uh, great conversation with Bo. I know you guys are going to want to stick around for that. But before we get started, this week's episode is brought to you by longtime NDA partner, HHA Sports. Uh, I've I've shot a HHA single pin sight for years now. Always been a big fan of their products, as well as the people behind the company are, are just top notch. So if you're in the market for a new site, be sure to check them out at hhasports.com. And uh, hey, if you're in the market for for a new site, you're in luck because we're actually giving one of those HHA sites away. And I'll talk more about that here in just a minute. If you haven't heard, we've partnered with Mark Kenyon and the Meat Eater crew for three Working for Wildlife tour events this summer and fall. Uh, the events are open to anyone who wants to come out and volunteer, and and we'd love to see each and every one of you, one of you guys out there uh, working with us. We'll spend a day in Idaho, a day in Mississippi, and a day in Kentucky getting our hands dirty and proving public land habitat for deer and other wildlife. Uh, the first of these events is in Idaho. That happens, uh, yeah, just a couple weeks from now on July 29th. Then we'll be in Mississippi September 23rd and Kentucky on October 14th. So to learn more about these events, you can head over to our website at deerassociation.com slash WFW. And one more thing before we jump on the phone with Bo. Uh, the NDA has completely restructured our membership levels, and for the first time ever, we now offer a basic, a free basic membership option. So there's there's absolutely no excuse not to be a member of the National Deer Association. And the free membership includes receiving our, our weekly newsletter packed with all the latest deer hunting and, and deer management, land management information. Uh, it makes you eligible for our regular member, our basic member prize drawings. And that includes the HHA bow site that I referenced a, a few minutes ago. We'll be giving one of those away here in the coming weeks. Uh, and you'll get important local action alerts regarding deer policy and regulations in your state, as well as upcoming NDA events in your area. So again, all that's completely free to you. 
All you got to do is head over to our website, hit the join button, and you can become a free basic member. Now, if you'd like to, to go one step further and help support the NDA financially, we also offer a premium membership that for a limited time, we're, we're letting you sign up for just $35. That includes all the benefits of the basic membership. Plus, you'll get discounts on gear from our sponsors and partners. Uh, a lot of great discounts there. And heck, with one of those discounts can, can more than pay for the price of your membership. Uh, and we'll have, you'll get an NDA hat and decal if you're a new premium member. And you'll also get entered into our regular premium member drawings. Now, these are separate from our basic member drawings. Uh, and the first of those, first of those premium drawings, we're going to be giving away a pair of Vortex binoculars and an Alps Outdoors bino harness. Uh, they'll, they'll go together. Great prize package there. Uh, premium members are eligible for that. And the basic membership drawings as well. So if you choose to become a premium member, that $35 premium membership, you're going to get entered into both the premium drawing for the Vortex binoculars and the Alps Outdoors Bino Harness, as well as the basic membership drawing for that HHA site. And we're going to do these drawings on, on a regular basis. So uh, be sure to take advantage of that. Head over to our website at deerassociation.com slash join. And be sure to become a member today. And with that, guys, we're going to jump on the phone with Bo Martonic to discuss some big woods deer hunting. Well, hey, Bo, welcome to the uh, Deer Season 365 podcast. Thanks, Brian. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I'm uh, glad to get you on here to talk a little little deer hunting strategy with us. Uh, I know the season, you know, on one hand, it, it seems a long ways away. But, uh, man, I know from experience, it'll it'll be here before you know it. And it's always good to get to to talk a little hunting to help pass the time and, until then. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to diving in. Yeah, but you you know it's it's it is you know summertime now and everything. But like you said, it really will be here before you know it. And I was just thinking this morning, I was like, I feel like I'm behind on which I feel like I do this every year, where you feel like you're behind on getting cameras out and checking places out that you wanted to, and just trying to trying to get everything. Uh, situated and try to get everything in place so that when the season does roll in, you're in a in a little bit of a better spot so that it's not as uh, stressful, you know, as far as you can just enjoy the enjoy the process. Then, yeah, I, absolutely, man. I seem to be guilty of that every year. You know, I'll think I got time, I got time, I got time, and then the next thing you know, it's like holy cow, man, deer season's you know two weeks away, and you're yeah. scrambling to get all that little last minute stuff done. So. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, every year I try to, you know, go in thinking, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be well ahead of the curve this year. So we'll, we'll <laughs> see how it all pans out. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Uh, yeah. But, but before we get into the, the hunting strategy side of things, um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah. So uh, as you said, my name is Bo Martonic and then I'm from Northern Pennsylvania and uh i've been the host of the east meets west hunt podcast and all other associated media now for just over five years and uh, i'd kind of started that that podcast around starting to or me really wanting to learn more about going out west and hunting and and you know basically selfishly wanting to learn more about hunting out west and interviewing people that knew a lot more than i did 
<laughs> but also by throwing on a mic, you know, it could help some other people out and do that. And as I started the podcast, I, I uh, once deer season came in, started talking a little bit about, you know, the way I deer hunted in Pennsylvania and the, and the big woods and the Appalachian mountains. And, and uh, honestly, I didn't think that too many people would be interested in that uh, from, from that standpoint, because it's kind of, it's not as sexy as far as the, you know, the, the bigger deer that you see in the Midwest and everything. And, and honestly, it was the complete opposite as far as the way it was perceived and, and uh, it, which has made me happy because that's just the, the way I've grown up hunting. And that's kind of my podcast is a little bit turned the direction that still has a lot of the, the adventure hunting and going out West and doing that in it. But there's a lot more on, on deer hunting as far as when it comes to areas that, that don't have agriculture and just the types of places that I grew up hunting. And, and now as I've done research on kind of the, the data, you know, there's five and a half million hunters that span through this Appalachian region. So it kind of makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, but, absolutely. But yeah, so I've grown, I've grown up hunting from just a very, very young, young age. And my whole family is just, is huge into, into deer hunting specifically and, and turkey hunting and everything else, but really into deer hunting. And, and I didn't have a choice, I think, uh, growing <laughs> up to, to go down, go down that path and kind of follow in my, my father and grandfather's footsteps there yeah well, that's really cool and yeah that's that's one thing you touched on there about about having a podcast that man, my favorite part is is just yeah being able to get people on here that know a lot more about these topics than i do and, and just pick their brain you know a lot of times the the guests i schedule it it is for kind of my own uh selfish you know reasons i, I know our listeners will enjoy it and learn from it as well but you know i'll, I'll sometimes pick those people that i just really want to really want to talk to and, and learn from. So yeah, that's yeah. definitely a, a cool, a cool opportunity with having a podcast. Yeah. We're, we're really lucky in that respect. Cause that's, I mean, honestly, I've kind of taken that all the way through till, you know, even now, although some of the topics have changed, it still comes down to, you know, me trying to find the best guests possible, whether it's for a specific topic or conversation. And I get so much out of it, you know, just as much as as the listeners do to, to be able to ask these questions and hopefully I'm asking it, you know, kind of on their behalf. That's the way I try to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, uh, I guess what initially prompted you to, to want to start, you know, heading out West to, to hunt? Uh, actually, honestly, it was, uh, I read a book that, uh, was a Cameron Haynes book that was called backcountry bow hunting. And he talked about elk hunting and out West and doing it yourself. And, and, and I didn't realize that that was really even possible. I think that was about 2014 ish that I read that. And I, I just didn't, I just would always see it on TV and, and just thought it was for somebody that had a lot of money and had to go out there <laughs> and pay for it. And with the advancements of, you know, after that book and social media and YouTube and everything, being able to see that it was possible to be able to do on your own. That's what really, uh, really got me interested and i've always liked the aspect of camping and fitness and and then hunting obviously and it kind of seemed like that was a, a, a culmination of all those different things so i just uh 2016 i talked to my brother and, and my cousin and i was like hey do you want to try to go hunt colorado for elk and and went through all the planning processes and at that time it was uh 
there was a lot of a lot of information out there about say elk hunting but i felt like at that point there wasn't a lot for the beginner of somebody that was coming from the east going out west and related to whitetail a little bit to to be able to plan that and that's what really kind of prompted the idea behind the podcast itself yeah it man it definitely i've been out there uh, a few times, uh, elk is still on my bucket list. I've been out there a couple of times chasing antelope and, and mule deer. And, uh, yeah, man, it's something that, that gets in your blood. It only took one trip out there and I was, I was wanting to go back every year, which unfortunately I haven't been able to do, but, uh, yeah, it keeps, keeps you wanting to go back for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've, I've still not yet hunted antelope. Uh, well, and I've hunted mule deer, but have not, I've not like, focused on it for like a whole season or like or like a, a whole trip on on mule deer specifically to be able to do that i tried in 2021 and ended up getting altitude sickness so kind of shortened that trip a little Ooh, bit but this year yeah. i'm going to south dakota i have a mule deer tag so i'm really really excited about uh getting to try that out yeah yeah that'll be very cool and now the east meets west i know it's you know you've talked about it there you've something you started kind of to to learn more about Western hunting, but, uh, that's, I, I think I read this, that's turned into your, your full-time gig, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. As of, um, little over a year ago now, uh, went full-time with, with doing East meets West and, and trying to put out, you know, educational content. The podcast is a staple of it, but also doing writing, um, a little bit for my own blog as well as other places. And then, um, also video, uh, content in them in the form of some hunting films uh, of actually filming some of the hunts uh, but mostly under the educational side of it and some of the you know whether it's struggles that I've run into kind of how to overcome them the planning aspect that's kind of the big the big thing for me it seems like on every trip the the biggest thing it comes down to for me is if I'm if I plan it out correctly and have backup plans for things that can go wrong and really put together a well, uh, well-built hunt plan. The trips seem to go smoother. So try to focus on a lot of that different stuff within, within those, those different avenues. Yeah. Yeah, man, we, we, we live in an amazing time where it's just, it's crazy what, you know, you, you can, uh, really take about any, any passion these days. And, and if you're willing to, to hustle and do the work, man, you can build a, a business around it. And it's, uh, it's just really cool to, see guys like yourself doing that, you know, just turning, turning a passion into a, uh, you know, full-time gig. That's cool. Yeah, no, I know. I, I still can't, still can't really believe that, that, that it is possible, but, um, so far I'm, I'm still paying the bills. So that's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's not like, I think a lot of folks have this image when they see, um, see these, these guys in the hunting industry, you're, you're, Michael Waddell's or the Lakoskis or whatever. And, and they, you know, they have this perception that, well, they just get to go out and hunt, you know, maybe make an occasional video and the, and the checks just keep showing up in the mailbox. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot more work, a lot of work going on <laughs> behind the scenes there that most people just have, have no idea. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not easy. You know, we, we laugh about it. Um, uh, I, I've laughed about it with some other guys that are doing similar stuff to me. It's like, the term hunting for a living isn't, isn't real. It's like, it's a, uh, you know, I, I have the opportunity now to, to be able to have, uh, I guess, more flexible time to go and hunt. And obviously a lot of the, the content that I'm creating comes from going on these hunts, but 
you don't get paid until you actually produce the stuff to go out. So there's a lot of time behind a computer and uh, and figuring it out and and talking to people and trying to understand the business side, which was like was something I had no idea about until it, it just took a lot of research and a lot of trial and error to, to kind of figure that out. And I'm still working at figuring that out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot, lot of wheels spinning there behind the scenes to, yeah. to be able to do something like that. Yeah, most well, definitely. Well, well, I have to ask before we before we dive into deer hunting strategy, um, as someone who has been able to get out and, and travel a good bit to hunt for, for several years now, um, you know, what what's your favorite uh favorite place to hunt or, or your favorite animal to pursue? Uh so I, I'd say my favorite place to hunt is Alaska. Alaska is by far like it was as a kid, just like a bucket list item for me to, to go to. And I was able to hunt there in 2020 and I'm going back again this year. And it's just, I'm infatuated by the aspect of you can go somewhere where there's, you don't run into another person the, other, the entire time you're in the field. And it's just, it's such a wild place. And so Alaska is definitely my favorite. Uh, but, but honestly, I think, I think my favorite animal to hunt is still whitetails and it's because it's such a year round thing for me. I, I like the aspect of the, the scouting and trying to figure out deer, I think even more so than actually hunting them, <laughs> and, you know, then, then, you know, sitting in the tree is probably the, the, my least favorite part of, of the entire thing. And, and, uh, so on the whitetail side, my favorite place that I've, that I've hunted is actually uh, West Virginia. So I like hunting the, the coal country and West Virginia, really steep hills. And, uh, but a little bit of a mixture of some, some open reclaimed coal mines that you can kind of take some of the stuff that you, you learn out West and the spot and stock aspect and, and utilize that for whitetails. So it's a kind of a combination of the, the different things that I like to do. And, and I've really come to enjoy that. Okay. And yeah, I'm right there with you on the scouting. Just and that's really happened for me just here in the last, I don't know, maybe five or six years. But uh, uh, really gotten into just you know where I'm getting out year round and just uh, I hunt a lot of public land here where I'm at in Georgia, and it's just you know always always trying to learn new places and and learn more about the places I'm hunting and like you said, just running running trail cameras and and the whole bit. It's just. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just really keeps the whole excitement going year round, like you said there. Yeah, no, it really does, and it's, it's, I, I just, I love that pursuit of trying to figure out an area. Like when I look at an area, it's like I, I know it's going to take me really about three years to figure it out to a point where I feel confident and in hunting these places. And in the same respect, I just like going the new places and trying to figure it out. And the first time in scouting a new place it's like i'm walking around just like with eyes wide open of like you know picturing this is where a deer could come through a buck you know would feel comfortable here maybe he's bedding in here and just like but at that point you know it's all speculation and just trying to read the sign and read the train and figure it out and that's what makes it so much fun and then you know once you put cameras in there and and get some real world hunting experience you start learning a little more and seeing how they're moving through it and you know, there's a lot of, I guess, rules of thumb when it comes to to deer hunting, and you can take things and apply it to different areas. But each area has their own little things that 
that it takes time to to be able to learn and and i love that part of it oh yeah yep uh, i agree well that's 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 a great segue because that's that's really where i wanted to head with with this was was scouting and i know you know we'll break this down kind of between hunting there in your home state of pennsylvania uh versus taking you know these out-of-state trips where where scouting is going to look a little different so we'll just start out with you know talking about how you approach scouting there in your home state uh, can you can you walk us through what, what your scouting strategy look like i guess starting from the the end of one season kind of how do you approach scouting preparing for the next one yeah no that's a that's a good good question and and for me in my home state in Pennsylvania, so I look at that as like areas that I can get to more frequently throughout the year and and spend some time there. So it's kind of a tiered approach where typically it starts e-scouting and looking at maps and trying to look at an area and determine whether it's a place I want to check out. So I'll start with e-scouting and I'll, I'll, I'll dive into each of those in a little bit more detail, but e-scouting kind of starts at once I find a place going in once the snow melts in the springtime is by far my favorite time to be in the woods because you don't have to worry about blowing any deer out you can just get in and and just walk so that's when when I try to get in there and and put as many miles on as possible and just learn an area or multiple areas essentially and go through and my my spring plan is when I'm looking at the e-scouting portion I like to have about three areas that I've been to in the past that I, I'll go back in and scout again in the spring. And then I also like to have at least two to three brand new areas that I want to get, you know, boots on the ground the first time in that spring and, and get in there and check out those places and, and see it. So that what I'm doing in the spring is when I'm walking around is I'm trying to, I'm trying to mark areas that are, that seem I guess whether it's, you know, sign as far as scrapes and just the way, see how the terrain lays out and trying to mark everything down so that I have like, okay, if this is a, a place that I want to come back to, uh, or these locations, mark these locations where I want to put trail cameras at and be able to, to be able to figure that out. So then once the summer rolls around, uh, I'll go back into some of these areas and start putting up my cameras. And there'll be some locations I have cameras set up specifically for summer intel as far as trying to get pictures of of bucks and, and velvet and seeing that. But a lot of times it's it's more so me putting cameras in places that are set up for the fall so that they're ready in place. Because, you know, as as we talked about earlier, it the season is is only so long and it's really difficult to get cameras out in place and get the scouting that you want all in that time frame right, you know, right before the season or, or during the season so i like to have the, the, all of my my pieces on my my game board you know ready in place so that when it, it hits go I, i'm just adjusting at that point so that that's kind of how i like to to look at my look at the scouting so once i get the cameras out then once the fall time rolls around, it's a lot of confirming and seeing what the fresh sign is dictating because historical sign can be really good, but as food sources change and everything, you, you might need to adapt and, and shift around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a great point about, you know, where you're putting your trail cameras out now 
um, you know, catching catching those those summer deer versus you know what's going on in season. Um, it kind of goes back. Actually, uh, just had Dr. James Johnson on uh, a few weeks ago from the University of Georgia. That he's done some extensive like trail camera survey work down here. But th- but that was a really cool thing. I mean, it makes sense. You know, most deer hunters know that that deer shift their seasonal patterns, but it was pretty cool. He he produced these heat maps of like where the bucks and he was doing passive trail cameras. So he wasn't putting out corn or anything, you know, he's just putting flooding an area with trail cameras. And, uh, you know, in these heat maps, you would see that like during the summer, the bucks and does were pretty much, I mean, you could almost draw a line between them separating where they were hanging out, you know, and then once, once season come in, there was just a shift, you know, those bucks slowly shifted over into the, to where the does were, and it was just a really cool visual to see that, you know, kind of make the point what you're saying there that just because you're getting these uh, these summer trail cam photos of these bachelor groups of bucks or, or you know, you're, you're keying in on sign that you're finding in the summer and putting cameras out that um, doesn't mean that that intel is going to do you a lot of good once once deer season rolls in. Yeah. And 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 a lot. Of, I mean, I believe me, I love getting, you know bachelor groups and velvet and oh, seeing yeah. the pictures and doing that i do and i do have some cameras set up that way but i've learned that as far as an efficiency standpoint it's like all right what what is the most useful intel and for me it's like what's going to happen during the season and so like i said some cameras that i can get to a little easier or spots that are closer driving i might have them set up for the summer and then be able to adjust them before the fall but there's a lot of places where you just can't can't do that i mean even you know not talking about out-of-state trips yet but it's it's the same type of concept there as far as you you don't have a lot of time that you can be spending in these places or switching cameras around so just trying to get them set up early enough now the the risk you run with that is vegetation growing up and batteries and you know maybe there's a branch that you don't see that swings in front of your camera and it you know it kills the batteries but at the same time it's it's a it's, it's very low odds and you start to learn um, some some strategies of hanging your cameras and making sure you have all the brush cleared out, you know, prior to that. So that when it does green up a little bit more and, and thicken that it's not it's not the end of the world. and You're not going to, you know, be burning through an SD card on your camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How many cameras are you typically running, you know, going into the season? Uh, I think this year I'll be somewhere in the low fifties. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah, I I have, I do have a lot of cameras. Um, and that's split between, um, most of them are in Pennsylvania and then I'll run four or five in West Virginia. Uh, so I have some of them down there already and I need to get, need to get a few more, but for the most, yeah. So I'm running quite a few cameras and, and typically, you know, that's spread out through these different hunt areas that i described earlier so you know say i'll have going into a season i'll have five areas that are like these are my my go-to places and and then within them there's you know the spots within the spots but i split the cameras up kind of between those areas that i know a little bit better i tend to have cameras more cameras and clustered closer together uh trying to learn specific kind of trails and movements whereas newer areas I'm more so just trying to get a lay of the land and understand if it's even a place that I want to put effort into hunting. So I may only have three or four cameras in those places and spread out 
on on different features to to be able to capture them. But I really I really think about cameras and scouting as when am I going to have the most time to be able to hunt? And I think that's where where it can get really complicated for people when it comes to scouting or, or trail cameras. And, you know, for me now, I am lucky where I have a little bit more flexibility and I can hunt throughout the year a little bit more. But in the past, you know, when I was, when I was working a job where I had say two weeks of vacation to take, typically I was taking my vacation during the rut. So my scouting and all my cameras were placed around what is it going to look like during the rut? And not worry about early season or feed trees and all these different things because that just that adds more complication to it. So I, I think it's it's important and and for me specifically, I look at different areas as far as what type of this time of the season I'm going to hunt them, and that's kind of how I'm placing my cameras. Yeah, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, I even have to you know watch myself like this time of year going out. I'll go out and and try to cover some new ground, look at different areas, but. You know, not getting caught up in fresh sign now, because again, you know that that doesn't that doesn't really provide you any information of of what they're going to be doing come deer season. You know, it might provide you a, a general idea of that deer in the area and maybe even quality of deer, especially with, with trail cameras. But again, you you like you said there, you gotta gotta keep in mind when that information's gonna gonna be relevant to you and when it won't be. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's a really, that's a really good point. And, you know, even in the springtime when you're scouting, it's when you go out it, you're seeing all of the sign that's left from say September all the way through February down on the ground. And it's hard to, to be able to determine, you know, when this sign was made or where it came from and it can lead you astray a little bit <laughs> if you're not kind of paying attention to it. And the way I guess I look at it is, you know, specifically when it comes to bedding and like finding beds and, and looking at it from, okay, does this make sense for a deer to bed here, a buck to bed here when there's foliage on or when it's not? And you can start to look at those different trends and, and be able to, to be able to see, because I mean, one of the, the hardest things for me is, you know, early season figuring out where these deer are bedding because there's so much cover everywhere that it actually gets easier as the season goes on and the leaves start falling off the trees. Some of that cover starts to dissipate and, and have some smaller areas for that. So that's, that's kind of what I try to look at when I'm, when I'm determining, you know, what's fresh sign versus, uh, or sign that might've been made in September versus January. Yeah. Now, are you running any cell cams or are they mostly just standard cameras? Uh, so mostly standard cameras. I do have, I do have probably five or six cell cameras now. And, uh, I, I use, but there's, there's really not a lot of places that I can <laughs> use cell cameras, yeah. uh, just from, from the standpoint of cell service in general, you know, a lot of the, the tops of the ridges and stuff have cell service, but the side hills and the bottoms typically don't. So I, I don't, I can't really use those as much as, as I would like, but at the same time, I kind of like using the standard SD cameras because I can, I'll run those on video, video mode to, to be able to capture everything as well as it also doesn't lead me in the wrong direction where I think that cell cameras can, cell cameras are great for giving you real time Intel, but in the types of places that I hunt in the, in the big woods where there's just lower deer densities, if you're, 
if you're trying to pattern a deer and be like, oh, once he shows up on my cell camera a couple times in daylight, time to move in, you'll you'll be too late. And and I think that sometimes you know you'll look at a cell camera and it hasn't had activity in a week and a half, and you think that it might you know you're not going to want to go in and hunt that spot because it hasn't had any real time activity. But that's just the nature of hunting in these types of places. Whereas when I don't have that real data, I'm just going off of the previous intel that I have and, you know, kind of trusting your gut on what seems like the right, the right move. And I feel like for, at least for me, that's more helpful than having that, that real time data. But where I, where I will say what's super helpful with the cell cameras is for example, when, uh, maybe like a, an area, some doe are starting to come to heat. You can kind of get that, that time frame. You start seeing, um, some bucks moving or, or hitting scrapes at night. And you're like, okay, you know, the next, once we get some colder weather that might fire up some daytime activity and that can help you a little bit there. But for the most part, I'm using SD card cameras and I'm going off of historical data from those cameras versus real time data. Yeah. Yeah. i tell you. I know one thing that I've done or, or a mistake that, that I catch myself making <clears throat> is that, uh, yeah, if you, if you do rely too much on those cameras and like you said, at, for real time data is, man, I'll find myself making decisions on whether to hunt an area off of that. And, you know, you got to remember that you're catching such a small snapshot of the area and, you know, I'll, I'll go check a camera and be disappointed because there's not much deer activity on it. But the fact is, they, you know, they could be walking behind it every day, you know, 20 yards and and you're just not capturing that movement. So you, you have to <laughs> you have to keep that in mind because I, I do got to watch myself, you know, making decisions on where I want to hunt based on that that current data. When, again, you're, you're just seeing such a small window there. Yeah. And I think we all do that. I mean, I, I, you know, even, you know, even me with not having many of those cameras, I still get in that trap. And even though I know it, it's like, don't, don't rely on them too much. It still weighs into your mind a little bit and can cause you to, to make some different decisions. But I just, I, I've found that, especially in areas of where these deer are, are relying primarily on browse as a food source, a lot of times, it's historical patterns that you can start to see and use year after year uh, that that help out. So I, you know, I'm I pay more attention to specific dates that I'll get deer on camera from previous years or weather patterns more so than I do of okay, this deer showed up here and now I need to figure out how to make a play on them. It's more of that from that historical standpoint and being able to see it where where that gets thrown for a loop is if you get an area that say heavy with oaks and one year there's a lot of acorns and then the next year there's none well now those deer are probably moving somewhere completely different and the sign might be non-existent this next year but that's where trying to find places when i'm you know e-scouting and when i do get boots on the ground i want to find areas with a ton of vegetation diversity uh in the form of timber cuts in the form of just like different age structures of trees that are in there, different browse sources, you know, maybe some um, mixtures of grassy openings and, and conifer trees and just as much diversity as I possibly can, because that, that makes me think that 
there's always going to be some sort of food there, even if mast is not prevalent on that specific year. So that that helps know that year to year those areas uh, most likely will produce uh, deer movement versus areas that are just primarily, you know, big oak ridges. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I was listening to your previous podcast you did uh, with the on our Coffee and Deer podcast with with Nick Penasato. And I, I th- thought I heard you say that, you know, you'll sometimes you might run cameras in an area for a couple of years before and then look at that intel before you actually ever go in there and hunt it. Is that was that? Yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I'll like most of the time, the first time I scout an area, I won't hunt it that year unless I unless I see something that makes me be like, or I find a shed or something that's like of a buck. That's like, I need to figure this out now, <laughs> but typically it's, it's, I'll go in and, and set these cameras up and just let them run all year. And I probably won't even go back there until the following spring and then grab the cameras, look at the Intel. And if it tells me that whether it's a caliber of deer, I want to hunt or, quantity or or something that gives me like okay i need to spend more time here now i start shifting those cameras a little bit and maybe adding some more and then putting together a game plan for that next year to start hunting it and start to spend some time there and and realizing it but for the most part i don't hunt an area the first year that i scout it okay now are you the type when when you get a a really good buck on camera or are you going to focus all your efforts on on figuring out that one buck or, or or are you more just you know hunting hunting the areas that you know to be good and 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 just you know wait waiting for the right buck to show up that's a great question and <laughs> and honestly it shifts for me a little bit but i will say that typically i found that i hunt better when i try to target a specific deer but i'm also willing to shoot other deer so like you know if i'm if i'm trying to hunt one buck that's you know this big old deer that i find it and if i'm hunting him in the way that i feel like that i have an opportunity to kill him other bucks other mature deer will likely travel some of the same places and and spots as that because they're you know by setting up trying to hunt hunt these big deer that have spent a lot of years trying to avoid people I feel like it makes me smarter in my approach versus just trying to hunt any deer. And even though that I might shoot, shoot a different one, which typically is the case. I mean, it's, it's honestly, uh, it's, it's been very rare that I've, that I've killed like one specific deer that I was, that I was hunting, um, in the last five years, I think I've only done that once, well, at least once, maybe twice, but that that's it. So mostly it, it comes down to end up shooting other deer that maybe I had on camera or, and usually I, I do, but what wouldn't be like the number one deer that I was, that I was targeting hunting. That's, that's been, uh, been a struggle for me on that aspect. No, I'm right there with you on that. I, I'll sometimes, <laughs> I'll sometimes get a picture of a deer and think, yeah, that's the one I want, but you know, another good deer comes by. It's, uh. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to not take advantage yeah. of it. So I'm just not at that. I'm not at that point right now. Or or I just I'm having a lot of fun with with hunting hunting a specific deer. But I love I love shooting a buck, and I'm just really not at a point right now where I feel like I want to eat a tag. Um, 
if it's like one deer or nothing. And I had tried that before and it really wasn't very fun for me. And that might change, that might change. But, uh, as of right now, that's just not, not the, not my approach. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you, you've, you've mentioned a couple times e-scouting and, uh, man, honestly, I can't remember the last person, the last deer hunter I've interviewed that's, that doesn't start their process with, with some e-scouting. Uh, that's, that's obviously, you know, a really kind of a really big step now with, with all the tools that we have available. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. I know, you know, in the area you're in, there's obviously it's mountainous. There's a lot of terrain there. So I'm, I'm guessing that plays a big role in your hunting and scouting strategy. So, you know, when, when you do your e-scouting, what, what are you looking for? What are you looking at as far as, you know, topos versus aerials and, and what kind of, what kind of features, I guess, are you looking for to, to start narrowing an, an area down? Yeah. And, and I think it, it, so it'll depend a little bit. If it's an area that, that has a ton of terrain, sometimes I'll start by just looking at the topo lines and just having the topo layer turned on and seeing for good terrain features and things I'm looking at. And, and I'll dive into those specifically, but I think where, where 90% of the time where I start is looking at just an aerial map with no topography turned on and just trying to find areas with vegetation diversity. So, you know, to, to make it easy is I'm looking for different colors on the map. So I'm trying to find where there's hardwoods, where there's conifers, where you can see some clear cuts, uh, where there's some openings, you know, some, maybe some streams and beaver ponds. And I just want to find as much of that as possible that creates habitat for the deer. And then from there, then I'll turn on uh, the topography or the hybrid layer where it has a kind of a combination of the topography and the aerial imagery to be able to 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 look at, okay, where are some of these key, you know, terrain features that I feel like a buck would be comfortable, you know, living or moving on in that, that it coincides with these vegetation features and looking for those specific things. So when I, when I find an area that, that has a lot of that vegetation diversity I'm looking at, then I'm looking at the topography standpoint and marking places like, you know, examples of terrain features I'll be looking for are, points of ridges and not not your traditional just any point that comes off of a, a ridge i've come to find that the more information that's out there that people know that bucks like to bet on points of ridges in steeper terrain because they can see and you know 270 degree fashion down over it they can have the prevailing wind coming over their back and the daytime thermals blowing to them it's a good spot for them to be able to have you know all their senses covered but that tends to get more hunting pressure like saddles do. So for me, I'm looking at micro points that come off of maybe the side of a ridge or off of a finger that are smaller, that are a little bit more difficult to identify that just gives these, these security spots that I feel like maybe other people aren't, aren't going to find and look at. So I'll, I'll mark some of those. And then I'm also going to mark, um, once I find some of those places that look good, I try to follow that same topography line out and see where some of the travel might be. You know, from from my experience, a lot of times these bucks are are, are traveling, especially during the pre-rut and the rut time frame, in a more of a horizontal fashion, and they tend to follow specific topography lines. 
uh, when they're doing that. So I'll try to find places that funnel deer movement down, whether it's, you know, a steep, you know, steep on the bottom, steep on the, uh, steep on the top, steep on the bottom. And then like a little bench that kind of flattens out through there or, or something that funnels down that deer movement. And, you know, in addition to that saddles or something that's talked about a lot and it gets, it seems like every single piece of public land I go on, when I find a good saddle, there's a tree stand in the center of it or a trail camera. And, and that's, and, and so like, I don't, I don't necessarily throw them out for that reason, but what I do is I'll work backwards and trying to figure out where the deer might be heading towards those locations. So I'll still mark that saddle to go in there and check it out. But I want to look at the bigger picture on where the deer coming from to get to that saddle, because it's most likely going to be nighttime movement because of the, the hunting pressure that's in there. So I start working back and figuring out where those deer are coming from. So anyways, I, I'm marking down all these waypoints. And then after I do that, I, I look at, okay, where are people most likely going to become from? So I'll mark every dead end road, every parking area, any, you know, if there's a camp or a house or anything where I can think that might come have pressure from it. And I always, I make those waypoints black so that when I'm looking at the map, I can start to see these you know, you were talking about heat map earlier. It's almost like a heat map of where I think pressure would be coming from. And that helps me determine where I think that, that the deer might be living in, in conjunction with that. It doesn't mean that they're always going to be, you know, far away from those places, but how are they using it to their advantage, uh, to escape, you know, people coming in. And basically I take that when I have, you know, I have these waypoints that I mark based on terrain, some, uh, based on vegetation, and then I'm looking at, okay, where are the key areas that I want to check out and how can I do that in a day or two's time frame? So basically trying to connect the dots as far as like a, a scouting plan when you go in boots on the ground. So I'll, I'll basically draw a, a proposed route of how I want to move throughout these different areas. And then once I get in there, you can adjust because your waypoints are, are or at least for me, they're just they're a starting point in an area that looks good. It might be, you know, 60 yards this way or 300 yards that way. That's better, but it's just, that gives me a good starting point and at least a plan of attack. Because when you look at a big area, you could spend a week in there and not cover it all. So you're trying to find those areas that are going to give you the best bang for your buck and, and checking them out. And, and honestly, if I don't, if I can't find and, you know, a lot of things that are smoking guns that I think are good to go check out. I'll just walk the bottom of the valley. And because in the bottoms, you can see the trails. Um, you can see the, the deer trails better. You can see the sign a little bit better. It's softer down there. A lot of times they're dropping down in there at night. So you can see all of those different things. And, and I'll look for tracks and, you know, you can find big tracks in some of these places. And then I might lead up into the hills from there. You know, if I find a crossing that's pretty good and there's a nice track in it, I'll just follow that trail up onto the ridge systems and then start checking out those different places from there. So that's that's one way of looking at it. And I think the the other thing that really helps me if I have a lot of waypoints down and I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to cover all these places. Now I'll look at what the historical weather was uh, for that location. So say go in and be like, what was the historical wind direction for I'm in November or October and it's primarily Southwest or Westerly facing winds. Now I want to focus on the, 
the northeast and the easterly side facing ridges because that's where the the leeward side would be where you would think that that bucks would be betting on to take advantage of that wind and um and then or just traveling on as far as scent checking for does during the rut so that's that's how i'll like really kind of narrow it down a little bit more yeah yep and that man that's a good point i, I know you're as far as you're talking about you know you're dropping the pins and, and you're going in to check these spots out but uh, i know personally it, it seems like i rarely find like where I dropped the, the pin rarely turns out to be that, that great spot that I'd hoped for or thought I'd identified on the map. But, you know, a lot of times, like you said, maybe a hundred yards from there or, or 300 yards from there, you know, you, you do find that, that really good spot that, that looks great. So it's, yeah, like you said, it's just more, more of a starting point than anything, but I, yeah. I, rare, I rarely, they rarely turn out to be as great as I thought in that exact location, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's a place to start. No, you're exactly right. It's it's just an efficiency thing as far as, okay, I have this amount of time to spend, you know, a day out in the woods. How am I going to make the most of this time and at least get me in the, the starting places? You know, for example, it, uh, um, an example of where it was a little bit different when I went there was this spring. I had marked some spots and, and I was marking most of these leeward facing spots, but I had marked places on, on the windward side of the hill and everything but once i got in there i learned that the windward facing side had all the cover and it was there was a ton of mountain laurel and that's where the deer sign was so i had you know i shifted my adjustment based on that by being in there so you know your e-scouting is not a a foolproof plan it's just trying to get you an idea to get in there and uh hopefully you know put you in a the correct area to be able to fine tune it yeah and you touched on there a question that I definitely had for you. And it sounds like, I mean, is it, is it fairly easy to find habitat diversity there where you are? Cause I guess the, my only familiarity with the, with the Appalachian mountains and, and that is, is what we have here in North Georgia, um, which is, and there's, there's not a lot, there's not a whole lot of timber harvest going on, if any at all. And it's just a lot of big open mature timber um for for miles and miles so I, I i was curious about that it sounds like maybe they are doing some some timber harvest or, or uh, some management up there where you're at yeah and and yeah so i'm, I'm definitely lucky in that respect because i've hunted areas that don't have a lot of uh d- of diversity and at that point i'm almost solely facing or are focusing on the terrain and how the deer are going to move that through that terrain and then finding what the food sources are as far as feed trees and, and hoping that, you know, they have, they have acorns that year or beech nuts or, you know, in our, in the region I'm in black cherries, you know, that, that can be really difficult when you find those monotonous forest places. For the most part, I avoid them, but there's also places where, you know, they might just have this big, open timber ridges but they'll still have you know mountain laurel or rhododendron or anything like that underneath the canopy that does break it up a little bit but it's harder to identify that on a map unless you have you know winter imagery with the leaf off to be able to see then you can see that mountain laurel and some of that other stuff that's there but areas that don't have a lot of vegetation diversity are are not my favorites to hunt 
but when they do have terrain, if there if it is a year that has mass crop there and stuff, then then it can be really good. It's just uh, you're focusing more on terrain more so than than the habitat. But I feel like in any area you can still find these small subtle breaks and and vegetation edges and things that that will stand out when you get there but they're a lot harder to identify on a map yeah yeah absolutely yeah sometimes it it may be as simple as you know a place where a tornado or lightning strike you know took out a tree or two and and opened up the canopy and you get a little little flush of vegetation in there it might be all it takes to to give you that you know at least a little bit of diversity that that may be drawing deer in. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. I mean, I had a guy uh, on on my podcast um, here recently that was talking about he focuses on areas that have in you know in these big monotonous places where there's gypsy moth where they've kind of killed the oak trees and it just opened up the canopy for sunlight and it grew a lot of new vegetation coming up and finds bucks in there because there's places to cover they can lay down they can stand up and eat and move around all day and feel secure and you know that's just something that's you know area specific if it had you know gypsy moth but it's very similar to out west when i go elk hunting and i find an area that had a beetle kill and where the trees are all dead and these conifer trees now are allowing sunlight through because they're dead and now there's all these new grasses and plants and everything that are growing up within those those places. But like you said, like even windstorms that will come through tornadoes or or just regular windstorms that will uproot trees and and uh, blow them down. It just creates a lot of cover and some new food in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Don't always don't always take a huge a huge shift in in habitat to you know provide that that edge they're looking for. No, it's just, it's, for me, it's, it's so area specific because there's, there's some places, you know, you, when you have a ton of vegetation diversity, it's almost, it's almost difficult just to, to figure out what, what is the most prevalent or what do they prefer in the most. Whereas in those places that might only have a few of them, you kind of know where the deer are going to be at that point uh, of being able to, to narrow it down. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been my biggest challenge. I, I'm originally from Kentucky and I moved down here to Georgia and uh, South Georgia and uh, yeah, everywhere is a bedding area. So it, it yeah. definitely, uh, definitely changes the, the dynamics of things, the scouting and, and hunting techniques. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, uh, th- we, we run into that with some of these big clear cuts or areas where they've done a lot of cutting over a bunch of different years which is great but it's so difficult to find out where they're betting at in the early season <laughs> to 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 get into a position where you can actually kill one of these deer because it's it's just this giant area of food and cover and there's so much of it that it's like where you know where do you start and for me at, at that point it's like i'm trying to find the best like breaking down those big places for example with some of these clear cuts in, in Pennsylvania, they'll go through and one of the timber management strategies is to, if what they'll do is they'll go through and they'll select cut it. So they'll leave some of the bigger trees to seed the ground to grow up the next ones. And once the next generation gets to a certain height, they'll come through and they'll cut out the, the bigger seed trees. But when, when sometimes what they call I don't know if this is actual technical term, but junk trees <laughs> that, that grow up that are unwanted species that are growing up or taking over the forest canopy on the floor, then they will 
they'll come through and they'll spray these areas again, which makes kind of a dead zone. And there's not much browse in there where they might have left a, a spot alone that's doing well. So that kind of helps break it down a little bit as far as like, okay, this 50 acre chunk was all sprayed and it's brown where this little corner is, uh, you know, still has some thicker vegetation and blackberry briars and everything in it that helps. And then you start finding more deer sign and browsing sign. You can see the briars nibbled off and it's like, okay, there's more, more deer spending time here. And, and I, I believe now I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never, I've never hunted in the South, but talking to people that are, that a hunt, you know, North Alabama, North Georgia, some of these places where, and I think it's mostly Alabama where they're doing some more cutting and everything there, but they'll have these, I think they call them stream, uh, SMZs, stream management zones. Yep. Yep. Stream side management zones. Yep. So, so they have something similar. They do it similar, uh, in Pennsylvania. I don't know if that's a term that they use for it, but where they'll, they'll cut on each side of the stream and then leave it. And there's some thicker timber and stuff in there. And those can be some really good places where you can take advantage of the, the thermals that are kind of going down with that little stream that's coming down there, but also have some more cover and different, just different type of uh, vegetation than you'll see in the, the bigger cuts and just create some more edge. Yeah. Well, shifting gears a little, you know, we talked a, a lot here about scouting strategy there where you're at. Um, how does that, how does that differ on a more, you know, time limited when you go on one of these out of state hunts, how, how does your scouting strategy change or, uh, you know, or maybe what are some ways that, that it doesn't, I mean, what's it, what's it look like, I guess, on, on those type of hunts. Yeah, that's, that's a good question because it's, it's a, it's quite a bit different from the standpoint of, I'm not usually able to run trail cameras. So there's not that historical data from a camera standpoint, uh, you know, for example, like where I'm going out down in West Virginia the first year, I didn't run any cameras. Now that I've determined I'm going to keep going down there, I do have some down that help me learn some stuff. But for the most part, say I'm just planning a trip to Ohio and I'm going there like I did last January. It was a lot of map scouting and then getting in there and trying to find, you know, the quote unquote hot sign and what's going on right now. If I have five days to hunt, I may spend three of those days walking and scouting and, and being a little bit more aggressive. So when it comes to the actual hunting side of it and, and these areas in lower deer density, and once I feel confident and I have data and I know that deer are going to travel some of these places that, uh, you know, eventually I might sit there for, I might sit in the same tree for four or five days because it's just, it's a, it's a time standpoint of when they're going to come back through this area whereas on an out-of-state trip when i'm going in i don't i don't have the time to spend three or four days sitting in the wrong spot so i'm a little bit more mobile and jumping around and really being aggressive and a lot of times that results in and blowing out deer when you're doing it but you learn learn by doing that and and getting in and trying to find those places to to set up and hunt that that are the best use of best use of your time but the reason why I'm, I'm doing more scouting you know say on these trips and and you know again you have five days of hunt i'm in there walking around because i just don't want to set up in a place that's that's not good that maybe i thought was good 
but that's not the best sign in the area. So I want to keep moving around and, and doing that. And for the most part, I'm doing these out of state trips during the rut. So it's, you're not doing as much damage as you would, you know, on an early season uh, trip by going in there. But, it, you know, in the same respect, I do believe that, that by blowing out a deer, you're not ruining the entire hunt. If, if that buck got away unscathed, he's probably going to come back to that spot because it worked and, and he's, he got away safely. So he's probably going to come back and utilize that area again. So it's, it's not the end of the world for me, but I'm a lot more aggressive in my scouting while I'm hunting, you know, say it's during bow season, I'm going to have, when I'm going through areas that's, I'm starting to be like, yeah, I'm kind of on the fringe of pushing where they might be bedding <laughs> here. I'm going to have an arrow knocked and I'm going to be just kind of walking through it slowly and almost still hunting my way through these places until I find a spot where it's like you get that that feeling of like, okay, I probably shouldn't go any further and I need to set up in a tree and, and wait this one out. And, and uh, it's, it's funny because it's really hard to describe when to stop when you're scouting uh, or when is you know the best sign. And, and I, I really do believe it. I was talking to another guy about this. It was just like, once you blow out enough deer, you start to learn, you start getting <laughs> that gut, you start getting that gut feeling of like, okay, I'm, I'm probably getting pretty close to uh, where I should stop here. Yeah. That, that's funny. Cause uh, we were, I was just having a, a similar, similar conversation this past weekend out hanging trail cameras with a buddy, we were talking about, you know, that same indecisiveness of, you know, we'd find a spot, you got limited number of cameras as it is. And we're out there and we'd find a spot and be like, okay, is this, um, you know, is this the spot to put the camera or should we walk, you know, another hundred yards in and, uh, yeah, it, man, it can be tough and I'm indecisive <laughs> as it is. So yeah, I struggle with that same thing. It's like, you know, is, is this enough sign to, to, you know, get up in this tree and, or, or do I need to go on, you know, just another, another 50 yards, another hundred yards. So, yeah, yeah. no, there it's, it's really tough. And, and, and one thing I'll do too, is like when I go into these areas, especially on out of state trips, but even, even in ones in my home state, I put together a hunt plan where I'll have it basically just like a bulleted list out of like, you know, your top five areas and then spots within them. And if I've never been there before, you know, there's speculation, but it gives me places to go and check off and follow the plan. Now it might adjust a little bit while you're in there when you find hot sign or something didn't look the way that it did, but it gives you a list to go through and help with um, the indecisiveness. It really helps when you have knowledge on an area that you've hunted in years past, because I think we all deal with this where say, even if you've hunted a spot for 10 years, and you go in there and it's not working out and you're like, what do I, what do I do? What do I do? And you think you, you feel like you know nothing about deer hunting at that point. And it helps when you have a list of places to go to like, okay, this tree is good for this wind or this type of situation. Let me go in and try this out and, and be able to see and adjust from there. It just gives you a little bit more clarity. And again, it's not, it's not like uh, the Bible as far as everything's written in stone, but it, it helps helps give you a plan on moving into it. I've just found for me, you know, I'm a person that's very indecisive too. And, and, and I think it's kind of the nature of, of deer hunting. And for me to have something down on paper to be able to reflect back to, it just helps with decision making. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Now what, and I know a lot of this is going to be just, you know, gut, gut, that gut feeling, but, but as you're out there on, on this piece of property and you're, you're, you've put boots on the ground and you're, you're trying to find that first place to, to hang a stand, what specifically is it, I guess that's going to, that's going to cause you to say, okay, this, this is it. This, this is where I need to, to hunt right here. What, I mean, what are some of the things you're kind of, you're, you're looking for? So I'll, I'll, I'll break that into two I'll break that into kind of an early season and then like a pre-rut rut rut time frame. So yeah. earlier in the season, you know, say I go up and I find a ridge where there's acorns just dropping and you can hear them raining down. But it's kind of you know, usually in those areas, it's kind of open woods. Uh, I'm not going to set up right there on that big white oak that's dropping on the middle of this ridge. More so is I'm going to look out and scan, you know, a couple hundred yards, like where do I start seeing a wall of cover? And if I don't, I'm going to keep moving and, and try to find, when I'm looking at a place to set up, I want to make it in a spot where the deer has, has most of the stuff to his advantage, that he's going to feel comfortable being there in daylight. Ideally, almost any time of the year, I like hunting scrapes whether it's right in front of me or in the area scrapes are a big part of, of, I know it's a communication hub and the deer are eventually going to check it, whether they're going to walk right through that scrape or, you know, just be in an area where they can scent check it from a little bit of a distance. But I like to find scrapes if possible. But when I start to find some of that cover, I want to be right on the edge of it to where basically where I can shoot into it. Um, but also not too far in case there's a buck bedded inside it. Sometimes he's bedded right on that outside where he can look out and, you know, you kind of blow the, the opportunity there. But for me, it's really just kind of looking at the situation on where I'm going to stop at from a standpoint of, is a buck going to feel secure walking here in daylight? And in an early season time frame, that's what my main focus is going to be. And based on the conditions, which meaning food is pr- primarily their their driver at that point uh to be able to go to and and also like in in spots where i find that that i believe deer would be betting in it's just trying to get somewhere on the outskirts of it and just set up and sit and observe because those deer will shift beds around during the day and kind of move in within that security and it might take a couple different adjustments or setups to get in that right spot but it, but I try to, it's mostly around cover, um, especially in areas where you have a mixture of cover and open woods from, from that standpoint. And then as it gets towards the, towards the rut, um, really I'm trying to find the does and try to find a big scrape that's, that's located near those does that I know they're going to come through and check and then find terrain that, that seems to funnel deer where multiple trails are crossing at it and and spending time there you know a lot of times those places like i said it won't have this big scrape right there in front of me but it's in the area that i know that they're they're going to be checking it but i want to have a place during the rut where it's there's a lot of movement crossing at one location and then picking the tree might i might spend 30 or 60 minutes standing there trying to find the right tree based on what the wind's going to do, what the thermals are going to do and all these things to, 
to try to find that right tree. Like that, I think that's the the biggest part to it. Finding a good spot isn't as hard as finding the right tree yeah. to, to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's a really good point that you brought there as far as you know of kind of bringing all these different pieces of the puzzle together as far as you know like you said there the it might be that big scrape and the the terrain feature that's funneling the deer movement and and cover and the different the different pieces because i think one of the the biggest mistakes a lot of hunters make and and i know i've done it plenty of times is, is you find that one piece and you're like oh this is this is it this is where i need to be maybe it's the 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 tree, like you mentioned earlier, the white oak that's dropping acorns, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this this is where I need to be," but the cover's not there, or that that terrain feature to funnel the movement's not there, and you're just looking at at one piece and, instead of the the bigger picture. So, yeah, that's 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 a, that's a great point you brought there. You got to you're wanting to find all those all those features coming together that's gonna that's gonna drive that that deer movement. Yeah, and and I th- also think it comes down to is like. You're, you're never going to have or rarely going to have all of the pieces, but it's like when you get multiples that you feel good about at that point, for me, it's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot and try it because there, it's, it, you can have paralysis by analysis, but trying <laughs> to have everything yeah. correct and everything working right. And even with the wind and, you know, in that standpoint, last year, uh, when I had shot my pennsylvania buck and it was november 4th 75 degrees it was really hot for that time of year and and i went down to this creek bottom spot that i had and based off of i knew it was going to be cooler down there but it was a little bit typically i don't like hunting the creek bottoms when there's higher winds because it just creates a lot of swirling nature of it and this was almost in one of those thermal hubs where you have a bunch of valleys that run down and there's this giant scrape that's been there for 10 or 15 years, I mean, probably 15 years. And it's just a historical spot for me. But I was like, okay, the temperature is going to be cooler. The spot has been good in previous years around this time. I'm going to have to risk the wind and know that, you know, usually within the last hour of, of daylight, everything calms down. Even on windy days, it calms down and that your thermals are going to pull down the stream. So it's like, if I can set up right on the stream, there's going to be times where, you know, the three hours leading up to that, where the wind's going to be shifting a little bit and I may get busted if one's coming through at that time. But the, the majority of the time that deer coming through this spot is right before dark. And I feel like my wind's going to be, you know, consistent as far as pulling down with the water at that, at that time frame, And, also, it's a place where deer don't typically bed around there. It's just a travel corridor. So I was like, I got to go in and, and give it a shot. And it ended up working out where, you know, right before dark, uh, you know, a, a buck came in and my wind was pulling down nice with the water. And he was just off the side of it. Wind was in his face too, but it was just off enough where it, where it worked out. But, you know, if I would have been thinking from the standpoint of I had to have everything lined up, then I wouldn't have hunted there. And, and at that point, you know, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta, I guess, roll the dice and, and hope for the best. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to answer that question, but I, I do sometimes roll the dice a little bit and try to 
see if I have more positives than negatives, you know, in my favor, then I'm going to, I'm going to roll with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You'll never find the, the, the perfect spot, so to speak. There's always, it's <laughs> <No. laughs> always going to be some, some piece missing, but yeah, that's good. Well, as we kind of wrap things up here, I like to, anytime I have somebody on, you know, talking hunting strategy, I, I like to kind of have them wrap it up by, I guess, what is, what's that one piece of advice? Um, I guess if you were, uh, if, if you were meeting or, or going back and, and meeting young, young Bo Martonic deer hunter, you know, new deer hunter, what, uh, what's that one piece of advice that you give yourself, you know, coming in to, to be just a, a better, more successful deer hunter? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a good question. And I think what I would, what I would tell them is scout as much as possible. Um, not worrying about sitting in the tree as much as being on the ground, blowing out deer, see, see, and, and, you know, that sounds terrible to say that, but I think by doing that, you learn where the deer like to live and what, where they like to bed and what they, what they like to do. So trying to spend as much time walking and seeing these places helps put things together and give you more confidence to sit in a place and also once you start once you get to a point where you feel confident and sign you're seeing looks good making sure that you're giving it enough time you know especially if your your access is good and you know you, you feel like you didn't blow out the entire woods there as far as when you were sitting there giving it more time because especially in areas with lower deer density or thicker cover that you can't see very far. A lot of times you're in the game and you don't know it because you can't see them because you might only be able to see 40 yards in this spot. And you might go, you know, two or three days without seeing a single deer and you, you know, your hopes are down and your, your, your morale is down and you think you don't know anything, but you, you're actually closer than you think. So by, by spending more time scouting and learning that it, it, it kind of gives you a little bit more confidence in these spots and, and then just the patience aspect of, of once you do find a place to sit by giving it the, the due diligence and the time. And again, this is focused around areas that, that are, you know, bigger woods, uh, not, not as much agricultural spots. I'm, I'm just speaking from experience with these types of areas, but that's, that's the advice that I would give somebody. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. And it, yeah, it, it can be tough, man. You hunt a spot once or twice and, and like you said, you're not seeing a single deer. You're like, man, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> yeah. why am I here? But, uh, yeah, sometimes you, you just got to stick with it. I, I will. I do want to just give one little short story here that kind of goes along with that. So the, the last year was a, a, a weird year from the standpoint of the at least in Pennsylvania, it was unseasonably hot during October, November. It was dry. It was just almost like drought conditions. It was a very difficult year to hunt. And I received so many messages of people that were frustrated and like not, you know, not seeing this is what I'm doing. I'm not being able to figure it out. I can't see any deer. And I was in the same, <laughs> the same situation. And it's honestly, when it comes down to those years like that, it's just like, keep doing those things especially when you have a plan and you you're you know what good deer sign looks like and you're starting just keep doing it you know don't give up until you don't have any time left and keep working through that because one thing that that i learned that last year when i just told that story about shooting that buck on november 4th 
that was the only deer I saw in four days. And I wasn't, now I had moved to that spot that afternoon, but I had spent three days in another area in a single tree and never saw a single deer. And at that point, I determined that it was time to move based off of the whole picture. I had a couple cameras that I could check on the way in to, to this place. And, and I wasn't even having a single doe on there where in the past there was other deer in there. I started seeing increased hunting pressure that kind of gave me the idea to, to, that I needed to move at that point, because that's the biggest, you know, you, you just had brought it up there and that's what made me think about it is like when to stay and give it more time and when to go. And it just really comes down to simply, in, in my opinion, just pulling out your hand and going down your fingers and, and counting the number of positives that you have to be in this spot and then doing the number of negatives and whatever one outweighs it is, uh, is how I kind of determine whether I'm going to stay or go at that point, because it's really hard to take your emotion out of it at that point. But when you can break it down to looking at, at facts, um, of what you're seeing, then that helps a little bit. And if you have a good hunting partner or a friend that you can call and bounce ideas off of, that is probably the, the biggest piece of advice because they're not in your shoes emotionally attached to it. And they can usually look at it from more subjectively and just look at it from the situation that you're, the cards that are being dealt versus emotionally being attached to sitting in a tree and not seeing a deer. Oh yeah. Yep. I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What would you do? Yeah. Uh, exactly. Well, good deal, Bo, man. I think, uh, I thanks so much for your time here today. Um, enjoyed the, the talk and, and all the great information you shared. Uh, for the listeners who'd like to check out what you're doing and maybe keep up with you this deer season, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Well, thank you again, Brian, for, for having me on and, and talking. I love Love talking deer hunting, even if it's uh, 80 degrees out and, and <laughs> yeah. hot in the summer. I still still love talking deer hunting all the time. And and uh, but if anybody wants to check out my stuff, uh, the East Meets West Hunt podcast is anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, my YouTube channel has the video podcast and a bunch of scouting videos and hunting films, which is just under my name, Bo Martonic. And then really anywhere else, uh, any of the social media platforms, either East Meets West or Bo Martonic, and you'll find everything I'm doing there. So if you, uh, you want to check that out, I really appreciate it. Well, good deal. Yeah. We'll be sure to, to put the links to, to all your channels there in our show notes and, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate your time and, uh, good luck to you this fall. Yeah, you too. Good luck, uh, scouting this summer and, and hopefully, uh, you feel ready when the season comes. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what I'm hoping for myself. Yeah. I hope, <laughs> I hope so. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Bo Martonic. Uh, Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. 
For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.